0: The scripture this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Well, today we are continuing our series, Knowing God, a series that we have been in for the summer. It's a way to get back into the Old Testament. Uh, And it's really a series that uh, is about the more we know God, the more we know about ourselves, the more we learn about who we are, who we're created to be. After all, the scriptures teach that we were made in his image. But related to that thought is also this idea that the the more we get to know God, the more we're strengthened in life to face anything. The more we know about God, the more we learn of who he is, the more we become impervious to life's challenges and suffering. Uh, Because make no mistake, life is filled with suffering. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at this uh, aspect of God that is incredibly important in this regard, but it's also one that I think our modern human culture just never talks about. Uh, you won't see a Netflix series on it. You won't see a Disney movie on it. You won't see an op-ed piece in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal on it. Today, we're going to talk about God's holiness, God's holiness, why it's important and why it matters. So Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the text. Father, this is a this is an immense topic. Your holiness. Uh, so, Father, as ever, my prayer is that you would help me get out of the way, and you'd clear the way for uh, your Spirit to do your work in our hearts. We pray that today would be a day through the power of your Word that you would speak to us, and from the inside out, you would transform us, change us increasingly into the likeness of your Son. It's His. It's in his name that we pray, Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the year that the ancient king Uzziah died, we're told the great prophet Isaiah had this vision. And he says it this way, he says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, I've recently had the opportunity and privilege to officiate two weddings over the last two weekends. By the way, congratulations to Wilson and Lizzie, uh, Brenton and Gemma excited for you guys, thrilled for you. But it's had me thinking about, you know, this whole concept of the train of his robe filled the temple. I am no fashion guy, okay? But I love seeing when, when the bride comes in with the train on, on her wedding dress. Not all brides do that, and that's all that's all fine and good. But it's one of those things where you just, you don't often get to see this train on, on this dress, right? It's it's a really beautiful thing. It's really regal. It's really special for the for the date. But the fact of the matter is, as wonderful as these trains on these weddings and these closings uh, happen to be, it's, they're also incredibly impractical, right? Because, I mean, unless the bride is walking in a straight line, uh, everything's, everything's fine. But the minute that she veers or does something else—so I've learned over the years of having done a number of weddings to basically commission the maid of honor. I'll have a little talk with the maid of honor at some point during the rehearsal to say, hey, look, I find out whether or not Bride's coming with the train, and if she is, I'm like, okay, maid of honor, here's your job. <laughs> whether you choose to accept it or not, if she does anything where the train starts to move around, and she could, in any way whatsoever, trip and fall, like that's your job to just kind of go. You, you know, you've seen you've seen them do this and all that sort of thing. And because if you know Bride happens to trip and fall, that could be disastrous. And so, you know, that these trains are incredibly beautiful, but they're incredibly impractical. And the reason they're incredibly impractical is because they, they convey importance. They're for people who are there to be served. Right? So, you know, a wedding on her day, man, she deserves that, right? If anything, that's, that's really wonderful, and that highlights why she's so special, why the day is so special. Well, here, in this vision, we're, we're told by Isaiah that God, as the king, with his royal robes, has a train filling the entire heavenly temple with it. And that, that seems to make sense, right? I mean, he's, he's God, after all. The vision goes on to talk about these angels, these seraphim, in verses 2 through 3, who are flying around the throne and singing to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the earth is full of his glory and then verse four which won't be on your screens tells us that their voices were so powerful as they sing that it literally shook the foundations of the of the heavenly temple all right so what's going on here i mean this is huge elaborate vision what is it trying to teach us well it's teaching us something about god's holiness and the first thing it teaches us is that he's He's beyond, beyond us. God's holiness means he is beyond, beyond us. I mean, everything we've just hit upon so far, let alone these few more things we're going to touch upon, is superlative after superlative to say that God is just beyond us. I mean, even the angels, as they're singing holy, uh, they can't just sing holy just once, right? One time, wouldn't do. So they sing it three times, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord, and that's very significant in the Hebrew language because in the Hebrew language, that's their way of of saying, you know, to the highest imaginable degree and beyond. That's what we're talking about here. And so the angels aren't just saying God is holy; they're saying He's the holiest of holies. He's not just holy; He's He's beyond holy. Uh, This Hebrew word for holy, which is kadosh, means literally separate. It means to be separate. Here's a definition I found: it means to be separate above beyond, exalted, infinitely above us or anything else. Again, God is not just beyond us. He is beyond, beyond us. Now, why does this matter, okay? On the one hand, this ought to be a little unsettling. And we're gonna come back to that because we're gonna see Isaiah's response is he's very very terrified. He's actually quite unsettled at, at, at all of this, at this elaborate, big vision of God being beyond him. But on the other hand, here's what this does for it. Uh, does for us it, is, it can be immensely comforting to know that god is beyond beyond us consider for a moment the context of this vision so he said in verse one that this was in the year quote that king uzziah died whether he had just died or he's getting ready to die we don't know it's in that year but king uzziah was this ancient king who was an incredibly he was in an incredible bright spot in a sea of just otherwise darkness uh, a little quick history recap for you. After the reigns of King David and Solomon, King David ruled about 1,000 B.C., after their reigns, the kingdom of Israel divided into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom called Israel that's comprised of the ten tribes up there in, in the north. There's a southern kingdom known as Judah. That was the biggest of the two tribes that comprised it in in the southern kingdom. And basically, the history after Solomon, during this divided kingdom, was essentially King after king after king after king for hundreds of years, just all leading God's people astray. Just committing gross acts of injustice, mistreating, abusing the poor, the widows, the immigrants, the orphan. I mean, sound familiar? All these years of just, of bad king after bad king, and yet, and it's actually one of the, it's, it's, it's one of the known, you know, ordination questions that sometimes pastors who are uh, being quizzed or tested to be examined to be, become pastors will be, will be uh, asked, about how many good kings were there in the divided kingdom? The answer to that is quite easy in the north. There were zero good kings. They were all bad. They were all just leading God's people away. In the south, over a span of hundreds of years, just eight Okay, very few. And during this time, God sent prophet after prophet to, to come to God's people and specifically to those kings and say, turn back, turn back to me. Because if you don't turn back, if you keep doing these things, I'm gonna remove my hand of favor and it's not gonna go well from you. for you. One of these many warring nations around you are gonna come in, conquer you, take you off into exile. Well, king after king after king after king rejected that. There's only a few that were, quote, good kings. King Uzziah was one of those good kings. He wasn't perfect by any means, but he was an incredible bright spot in the midst of a sea of darkness, had 50 years of rain, right when it seemed like the warring nation of Silas was going to come in and conquer them, and God just said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give my favor here while King Josiah is alive. So it's important considering that it was in this space and time that God gave Isaiah this vision. Are we tracking? Imagine if you were Isaiah, and you, you saw the writing on the wall. You understood with this good king, one of very, very few. And you saw the trajectory of the next king getting ready to rise up. You saw the trajectory of the people. You saw the trajectory of the warring nations upon your doorstep. You saw all of that, and you're just, as a man of God, prophet, you're looking at that, and you're just, you're nervous, to say the least. And it was at this time that God came in and gave this vision. That And essentially in this vision, what God was saying to Isaiah was, Isaiah, I see that you have all these problems that are above you. I see that you have these challenges that are beyond you, but Isaiah, I am above them. I am above what's above you. I am beyond what's beyond you. In one sense, this ought to be in, incredibly comforting to us to know that God is holy, holy, holy. That He's beyond, beyond us. Even as it can be, we'll get to this quite unsettling. Then you guys read Chronicles of Narnia. You know that book? I mean, they they made some movies. I don't think they finished them. The more modern, that might be a good thing. The movies were kind of, started off good and they kind of, anyways. The books are really, really good. And C.S. Lewis wrote them, of course, with kids primarily in mind, but they're incredibly helpful for just learning and gleaning wisdom as adults too. And one of the places that's incredibly helpful is in in this uh, series, C.S. Lewis depicts Christ as Aslan the Lion. If you read the books, you know who Aslan the lion is, and it's just such a helpful metaphor to get our mind around some of these things that we see here in this this text, that, yeah, to know that God is beyond us is unsettling, but at the same time is immensely comforting. Uh, Have you ever been to a zoo where there's been a lion, and you've got to go up close and personal, and the lion was actually right there in front of the glass? Have you ever ever done that? I mean, so many times when I go to the zoo, they're up on, like, some tree or off in the back or whatever— In another country, we got to go to a zoo where, it was sad, they were in these small cages, and I didn't know this till afterwards, but right next to the, and it was terrifying. I mean, lions are just magnificent creatures. They are so powerful. And and this lion opened up and roared, and I could tell it wasn't full bore, right? And we're talking half gain, whatever. And I, I, like, no exaggeration, I could feel it in my bones. Like, lions are just, to be around them, even with glass separating, it's like, whoa, well, in these books, C.S. Lewis kind of picks up on that, and he talks about how the four kids like, find out that Aslan, the king, is this lion, and they're kind of like, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to meet him. And they try to, and, and what they learn over time is that while it's unsettling to think about him, or, to, or let alone be in his presence, it's also incredibly wonderful and comforting. They find out over time that, man, whenever Aslan's around, things are going really well because his will is what happens. And what's really cool is you learn the progression, you see the progression of the kids throughout the book, and you can also see the Christian life here too, maybe, is the more they learn that about this, about this uh, of, of Aslan, Aslan the lion, they learn that even when he's not around, it's comforting because his will still takes place. And of course, there's that very famous uh, quote. If you've ever read the book, you know it. It's when Lucy first finds out about Aslan that he is a lion. He says, oh my, she says, oh my goodness, is, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, uh, who, who said anything about As being safe? He's not safe, but he's good. I think that captures what we're talking about here. This is the holy, holy, holy God. He is beyond, beyond us. And, and in one sense, that ought to be incredibly comforting because he is on his throne. And so let me ask you this question before we kind of move on and continue to think about this holiness and why it matters for us does this impact, whether it's this passage in particular or just this thought, that his holiness, does it impact the way that you approach him? Like your posture with God. I remember when I was younger, I used to muse about just this idea, if I were to ever happen to just be plopped in the, in the midst of God's presence, like what I would do. I don't know why. My brain just would go there. And I'd think about it. I was like, oh, you know, physically in his presence, what would I do? And I thought, I was like, oh, you know what I would do? I know what I'd do. I'd like run up and give him a hug. And I thought, no, yeah, maybe I'd do that. Or maybe I'd run up and just ask him all these questions I have. And I thought about it more, and you know, like from time to time, down, down the years, few years, I just thought about this. And I realized that after a while, like, you know what? I would do neither of those things, best I understand things. No, 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 no. You know what I would do with almost 100% certainty? If I were all of a sudden put into God's presence physically, I would, as fast as I could, fall flat on my face. And if there was dirt underneath me, I'd be sucking in dirt, trying to get low. You know what I'm saying? Because this is, this is the living God. Does his holiness, is who he is that he is beyond, beyond you. Does that, does that affect your posture towards him? Now, please understand, I am not trying to say that when you approach him, say, through prayer, or let's say as we gather together corporately to worship him like we're, like we're doing today, we're in his presence, that sort of thing. I am not trying to say, oh, you know what? You shouldn't come with joy and delight, you know? I mean, hey, we, we like to have fun. We like to joke around here and, and have a laugh at Kurt, of course. And I'm not trying to say... That when you come into his presence, say with prayer, that you ought not to bring your concerns, your worries, your, your questions, your doubts. You, you, you ought to do those things, in fact, because he invites you to. But make no mistake, we only do those things precisely because he invites us to. Does this make sense? Let me think of it this way. It's like it is so easy. For us as Christians, and I, I believe this is true of myself, to when I come to Him with prayer, to just kind of come all too casually. Now, again, I don't want to make this—I don't want to lose the force of it because Jesus said, "Hey, come to your, come to Him like a heavenly Father." But sometimes we can come to our Father even very casually. Is this making sense? Let alone, dare I say it, irreverently. He's the Holy God. He is beyond, beyond us, and and He's the one who initiated this vision with Isaiah. I mean, he's the one who invites us into his presence. But we have to come in with that posture. He's the one on his throne. He's the one on his throne, even when we might like ourselves to be on the throne, thinking it's him. Does that make sense? Sometimes we want things to work out the way we want it to work out when we're facing things that are hard and pretend like he's the one on the throne, but really, functionally, we're on that throne. No, he's the one on the throne, high and exalted. Do you approach him with that sacred reverence, God's holiness ought to be comforting to us, but it ought to also, as we've mentioned, be unsettling. (laughs) This was Isaiah's response. Here's here's the thought, second thought. Uh, His holiness lays our unholiness bare. Uh, We see this in verse 5. After Isaiah sees this vision of the throne, the angels, the foundations of of this heavenly temple being shook, here's how he responds. Woe to me, he said. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Almighty. I'm finishing up reading a book written by a psychologist right now. And at one point the psychologist is talking about how there's been this trend in psychology and in counseling where people have just gone quickly to when a client says, This is my problems, and by the way, human beings, we do this. And when people come to us with problems, we can quickly say, Oh, I see that you have these problems, I see that you have this these challenges, there's a suffering in your life, but you're okay. And just kind of say it that way, like, hey, there's this, okay, we, I see all those things you're talking about, but you're okay. And the psychologist was saying, like, oh my goodness, that could be one of the worst things we tell people. He said, for instance, because they already know they're not okay. <laughs> and so just to say that they're okay, and he went on to explain what he meant by that. He's talked about how over the years, he's had hundreds of clients. And by the way, this is not a Christian psychologist. Not a, I, don't, I don't even know if he's a Christian. It's not a Christian book. But he talks about how when he's had clients come to him and he's asked them to, open up and talk about whatever problems they've caused like things that they have done that have that have been bad that if you give them five minutes to think about it, everybody he says we'll just be able to we know we know there's all these things that we've done that either have directly or indirectly uh, in, impacted our lives and the things that we face and we just got to wrestle with those things and he said what's more is if you ask people where have you really gone beyond the pale messed up you know done some wrongdoing he said If folks are are honest with you they'll tell you that too look before the holy 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 of 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 uh, of, of god himself his holiness before him we must recognize that we don't just miss the mark we we miss the mark by a wide margin like we are just think of it this way isaiah I mean, essentially, the prophet of prophets. I don't have time to give you the background of, of Isaiah, but he was essentially the prophet of prophets. Incredibly faithful guy. Incredibly courageous guy in the, in the face of really terrifying circumstances. That's Isaiah. The longest book, the most quoted book in the, the New Testament uh, of the prophet. I mean, that's Isaiah, the prophet of prophets. Even Isaiah, let's say, representative of the best of us, when he was in the presence of God, it was like, oh my goodness, I am ruined. I am one of unclean lips. Who can say? Think of it this way. The angels, the seraphim, those who are flying around with their six wings, even these perfect beings over there are in all manner saying, I'm unworthy to be around this throne. I mean, you saw did you you notice these details when it was read? They have six wings, and with two of them, of course, they're flying, and two of them they're covering their faces. What's that about? Well, they didn't want to dare look at God when he seated on his throne. These perfect beings. And then with the other two wings, they're like covering their feet. We might be like, well, what's that all about? Ancient cultures know. Like the feet are what touched the ground, the dirt, all that. It's like they're trying to be, perfect beings are trying to be like, hey, we want to cover our immodesty before God. These perfect beings. Here's what we learned. We learned that not only in the face of God's holiness are we sinful, as the Bible describes it, that we miss the mark, that we are just like dread. You know, the scriptures talk about it. We don't, we are, the heart is exceedingly wicked. Not only that, we find that even our strengths are essentially no strength in front of him. Because if you notice, Isaiah doesn't just say, I am ruined because I'm a sinful man, God. He says, I am ruined because I have unclean lips. That is a prophet saying that. What made a prophet the prophet but the words that he spoke? You know, kind of like a guitarist, you know, his hands makes. Kind of like the coder, the keyboard. I don't know. I'm a man of unclean keep. No. The strengths of them, even for a holy God. It's, have you ever been around somebody who's just so good at something that you do that it's just like equal parts like attractive? Because you're like, wow, that's incredible. Because you have an insight into understanding how good that person is. But also equal parts like, oh my goodness, I am just so terrible. Have you, have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen plenty of times. I mean, you just... I mean, like, okay, I just talked about playing uh, the guitar. Like, I play the guitar well enough to be like, okay, I can kind of do what I want. I can't do all things, but I can do a lot of things. But I also, in, in some ways, unfortunately, play it well, like, well enough to know how good other people are when I'm around them. Does that make sense? And so, and there's a few, a few of you guys here at, at Currents, like, when you're around, I'm just like, you take the guitar. You, just, you take the guitar. Because we could play the same exact simple chords in my mind on the same exact guitar, but it's like, you just, play, you just play it. It'll be better for all of us if you just play it. Uh, to be in God's presence means not only just to understand how far we should fall short in terms of our sinfulness and how we miss the mark in terms of our, terms of our lies, or morality, and all that. It also means that those things in which we look to for our identity sometimes or our strengths just fall so far short. And I don't know what this is for, for you, but we can look for our identity and our strength in all sorts of manners so also, I had, I was at a, a church planning conference one time, and the keynote speaker got up there and was talking about, uh, talking to this group of hundreds, if not more, uh, church planners, and he said at one point, do not start a church to save your soul. Huh? He said, do not start a church out of, like, a sense of identity to, like, garner favor either with God or with people. I mean, certainly don't do it with people, because that man, going to ministry, you don't do he, he said, but don't do it with God. If you just, it's like that, God doesn't owe you anything for starting a church. And that hit me. I mean, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about the God of provision, I talked about at one point, there's been times when I just got real down with all these different things I was facing that I felt were really challenging, really hard with my health and all that sort of stuff. And I got to the place where I realized, man, my prayer wasn't just, man, this is hard. God help me. I realized my prayer was, God, this is hard. Why aren't you helping? Because I'm doing my part. That was me in my own way trying to start a church to save my soul. We could do this in so many ways. For those of you who look for power, maybe, maybe you try to find it in status and control. Maybe beauty, and your, your, you look for Your, your beauty is what's a strength. And you look for your looks, your health, or maybe, you know, success is there. So you look for it either in the next promotion or maybe in how well your kids are doing, not doing, and you're shaking, you know, depending on where they're going. The Apostle Paul is a great case study in this. The Apostle Paul, if you know his backstory, uh, shows that his main thing, his strength, was religion. I mean, I think our culture understands pretty well the, how, how problematic it is to try to find your strength in religion and in good works and morality. The Apostle Paul, who is frankly the best at religion and morality as it came, I mean, he just knew the scriptures, he knew all the laws, he could follow them to a the T, but when he was overwhelmed with the Lord's holiness, he realized, oh my goodness, I not only fall super short, but I was also falling short in my strength, my perceived strength, spiritual pride. He understood how, he could see all in an instant how that had been hurting others. There's all these ways that we can look for, look for even in our strength that falls short between uh, before a holy God, let alone the ways that we fall short in our sin. So what do we do with this? What's our response? Uh, it seems to me that there's a prayer in one of the Psalms uh, that is incredibly insightful in this regard. Uh, it's an incredibly helpful prayer as frankly it is also an incredibly terrifying prayer to pray. Now, here, here's the prayer. Search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You know why it's a terrifying prayer to pray? (laughs) Because it's opening our soul to the one who knows us better than we know ourselves and saying, Lord, how am I missing the mark? That's a scary prayer to pray. It's even scarier to listen for an answer, let alone once you get an answer, what to do with that answer. But notice here, it says, to lead me in the way of everlasting in that prayer. And that's what Isaiah finds When he is confronted here with his own sinfulness, his own lack, lacking in holiness, including in his goodness and his strength, uh, we find, last point, that God's holiness transforms him, sends him out, as it it does for us. His holiness transforms us. It's meant to send us out. Isaiah is confronted with his holiness, says, Woe to me, I'm unclean. And then verse 6, One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It it seems no coincidence to me that God chose a live coal uh, for the angel to bring. He chose specifically fire to cleanse the prophet. Because fire, of course, can be a cleansing agent. Uh, Cindy and I had a barbecue this last weekend. Uh, excuse me. This last week, we had uh, neighbors over to our place, and we, Cindy's awesome. She spearheaded the whole event, and then she also spearheaded the the marinating of the of the chicken. is really good, but I was on grill duty, so I was going to take this marinated chicken that she pulled and just like just grill up a bunch of chicken. Okay, so I did that. If, but if you if you know grilling and barbecue of, of marinated meat, you know that has a lot of sugars in it. And it's it's really problematic because once you start to like put marinated meat on the grill, it, it, the, the sugars all come off and start to crust. And it's like, you know, fire has a harder time to get. It's all, like, oh, it's super messy. It's so, such a pain, but you know, the outcome is really good. She made good, good chicken. Um, but so at the end of this thing, my grill was just like completely like, man, how am I going to clean this thing? I so often just don't do marinated meat. I'm just like, oh my goodness. And actually the most efficient way, given the alternatives. Uh, to cleaning it is just to pipe that grill as hot as it goes for a while, get it as hot as it goes to just burn off all those impurities. And uh, I felt a little bad at one point, like there was just smoke fuming up. Because it was like that's, I mean, we, it was a good, good number of neighbors. Like it was just, but like, and, and also I took a picture on my phone. I'm not making this up. I was like, man, my, my grill has never gotten this hot. Like it just, it had to get so hot to finally just at the end, I just go boop with the brush and clean it off. And what was awesome is after the fire did its work, it was ready to go again. It's ready to be used, ready for another go, and and to be able to be used for having community events and all that sort of thing. Uh, notice when Isaiah, this great prophet, says, "Woe to me! I am I am an unclean person. I am sinful person." Notice that God does not go, no no no, you're you're not bad. You're okay. God essentially is like, yeah, I know. I'm God. But nor does God go, and you know what, I'm done with you. In fact, that's the whole point of this vision. God initiated with Isaiah to show up. He understood all these factors, and he initiated with the coal, the angel, to bring it over and to provide atonement, that word is, in verse 7. In other words, forgiveness. Substitutionary forgiveness. Now, Isaiah would say later, a few chapters down to Isaiah 53, he would talk about how Christ, how Messiah would ultimately do do this for us. This coal, this burning fire that touched Isaiah's lips to cleanse him in that moment was really a foreshadow to what Jesus would do on, on the cross. Here's how Isaiah would write about it, just a few chapters from ours. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and inflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. In other words, the gospel or good news of Jesus is that he himself made a way for us to all be cleansed if we would receive it. And in the greatest act of holiness this world has ever known, the Holy One of God died for the unholy. The the, the Lion of Judah became the sacrificial lamb in order to cleanse us, in order to bring us back into relationship. But he didn't just do that to forgive us. He did that to clothe us in his holiness. Uh, It says in Isaiah 61, a few chapters further, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. You know, before God's holiness, it is terrifying to see our lack of holiness, but the fact is there can be a real gift there too. Uh, One of the greatest objections I get from my friends who aren't Christian about the Christian faith is they say, oh, Christianity can just really come across as this get out of Jail for free card. I realized this week Caleb got it, my little guy got into Monopoly. That's where that comes from. I was like, get out of jail! For free. Like you just have this card. Like oop, I'm forgiven. The, the The problem with that is it actually doesn't understand all of which we're talking about. And by the way, all the other places of Scripture. And I, and and it's not just uh, my friends who aren't Christian with these objections that that feel this way. I also see some Christians living this way. It's like, oh, I've just I could just kind of do it because I'll be be forgiven. But that misses what we're talking about in this whole place because God's holiness calls us to repent, as Jesus put it, receive cleansing. Jesus said repent and believe. Repent means not just to say sorry. It means to turn from those things, to turn from them with, with his help. With His power, To see where we are lacking in holiness and not go just, well, he, he forgives me. But to actually say, okay, I see and I agree with you that this is not holy and I want to turn with your help to not doing it. It's, it's, it's living a life of what I like to call active repentance. Because we are all, not even Isaiah, let alone the angels, just exceedingly sinful, lacking in holiness. And we just need God to move us, to transform us from the inside out. And that's the wonderful promise, by the way. It's not we should just do this because, well, God's holy and we just need to understand we're not. It's also because this is how God continually cleanses us. Now, make no mistake, the gospel is when you put your faith in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive a cleansing that we are brought into a relationship with him. But there are things that we're going to continue to do that don't affect our salvation, but do affect who we are, who we're becoming, that God wants us to think about to receive cleansing from. I mean, think about it from Hebrews 12. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Is there anything in your life that you know or perhaps don't even know hindering you, entangling you? I'm a a boat guy, so my, my parents just take me out on sailboats. Uh, the thing about boats, if you, if you know, especially in the sea, is that over time they 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 take on a lot of barnacle underneath them. If you've ever seen this, just take, and it's a pain to get off because you got to go under and get a wetsuit or you know just clean them off. And it's not easy. But it's like, but the thing about barnacles, is you don't see them. They're just all under there. But whenever you want to go out and sail, let alone a, a good trip, is but they 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 completely drag you behind. Like you just you're not going anywhere near the speed that that boat is designed to go. And when you think about like the hindering, the entanglement, I, I, I kind of think of, of barn, like there's things in my, in my life and in all our lives that are, are slow, slowing us down, that we're not experiencing the life that God has called us to, that he wants to give us. That he... So how do we throw off that which hinders, that which so easily entangles? One of the ways, one of the tools God's given us in his word is through confession. Confession is literally coming into agreement with God uh, he already knows where we f- fall short. It's confessing with him. It's also confessing with others. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you, quote, may be healed. Uh, when, when I was overseas one time in a, in a third world country, I developed a real bad uh, stomach sickness like so bad that when when I got back, they put me on, I didn't know this at the time, I had to talk to friends who were in the medical profession, they put me on really strong antibiotics. I'm just like, doctor gives this to me, I'm gonna take it. But talk to my my buddies, they're like, oh my goodness, that's some really strong antibiotics. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what they gave me. And uh, one friend in particular said, that stuff's so strong that it'll probably not only heal your stomach, in fact, you'll probably also re- realize that you had all these other things going on that you'll be healed of. Like, that's what'll happen. And, and sure enough, like, I, I, I didn't even know beforehand I had had this sinus issue. Like, after taking that, I was like, I can breathe, like, fully again. It's like, I think sometimes, one of the saddest things for me, and by the way, I say this as a fellow person who struggles with it, one of the saddest things for me is often the Lord wants to provide healing but we don't want to receive it. We don't want to step into it. And God gives us the tool of, of confession. I mean, you know what hit me this week as I was studying this? Like, the angel brought this live coal to Isaiah to touch his unclean lips. I mean, part of me as I was studying this week was like, that had to hurt, like, right? But Isaiah doesn't say anything like, and it hurt real bad. Here's, here's what I think, take this for whatever. This is what I think is going on there. I think it probably did hurt, but I think it wasn't worth mentioning in comparison to the healing that he experienced. And he's talking about like, man, I'll be real. Confession is hard because you're laying yourself out there. But you know what? I can also tell from, from personal experience, it is also one of the most freeing things. For one thing, from our guilt, as Isaiah uh, mentions here but also in terms of receiving life transformation from the inside out if you've never confessed sins before i would just encourage you here's a way you can do it you can do it find somebody in your small group if you haven't been in a small group we're going to start those back up in the fall you can find other people there's different ways and we can be helpful to you as a church but find somebody you, you you're close to your trust if you're if you're married you can do this with a spouse sometimes it's good to do that in, in conjunction with somebody else Typically it's good to do with somebody in the the same gender as you, but somebody you trust and just share with them. The the scriptures don't say you just need to go out and from the rooftop just share everywhere. Scriptures don't teach that you just need the next Bible study, just bear all and with everybody. No, but just find a way to receive the healing that God makes available to you. Um, We're going to be taking communion here. Uh, Communion is an opportunity to do this. Uh, My, Old youth mentor used to say, uh, "It's a great time to quote do business with God." It's kind of a weird way to put it, but it, the way the way we take communion is we're not just kind of taking it in a vacuum, but we're thinking about being before a holy God and saying, "God, this is where I I see that I missed the mark." It's praying the prayer that we that I shared earlier. and I'll, I'll ask the team if, if we can to put it up when we do communion. Uh, search me, God, know me, my heart, test me, and see if there's any anxious thoughts. See if there's a way offensive me and lead lead me in the way everlasting but here's the cool thing it doesn't just end there god doesn't want to just transform us he also wants to send us because with isaiah in verse nine after after god cleanses him essentially he hears isaiah hears the voice of the lord whom shall i send and who will go for us and i said here i am send me Isaiah wanted nothing more than to be sent by God. This is another thing that saddens me is often Christians not only don't want to receive the transformation that God wants to do and the life that comes along with that, the breakthrough that can happen in relationships or in our souls, but we also don't necessarily want to be sent by God. And notice, he's the one who sends I was reading one commentary this week. He it pointed out the fact that it does not say, I'm, I'm going to go where I want to go. He just said, God sends, and we listen. We go, okay. that's right. And notice, by the way, for Isaiah, if you read the next two verses, which we won't put on the screen for the sake of keep moving here, uh, for Isaiah, he was sent to a place and a people who would not listen to him. But he's in good company, because Jesus talked to a lot of people, the Son of God, who didn't listen to him. You know what's really cool, church family? We are sent to the Silicon Valley, a place that, humanly speaking, not a lot of people are going to listen to you and me. But some will. And we get to tell them about the love of God. And we get to tell them about the holiness of God, that he is beyond, beyond us, beyond, beyond them, beyond, beyond their problems, and he's good. He's gracious, and he wants to bring healing to a degree that so often we just were entangled in. And we don't do that with an attitude of we got it figured out because that would defeat the whole point. We do it with the, we're, if anything, lower than Isaiah, desperately needing God and his touch, which he has graciously given us in his son. So here we are, Lord, cleanse us, send us out. Uh, let's pray. Fathers, we come to the table of communion. What, what a topic to, to really guide us into all of this as we remember how you sent your son, the king of kings, lord of lords, the lion of Judah, to become the sacrificial lamb. The holy one to die for us who are so unholy. And not just by a little bit. In way greater degrees than we even recognize or can fathom. But, but you took the initiative to make a way. You came not only bringing the vision You came sending your son. And because you sent your son, if we receive that, we too can be sent. Not because we're perfect, but because we have the message of your perfect love through your son. Father, thank you for sending us to the Silicon Valley. Uh, Lord, we just long to see your kingdom come, your will be done in this place. Lord, give us hearts, not only for transformation. I pray for some people, maybe today whether it's through confession, whether it's through repentance of some degree, that this might be the day where they experience a cleansing of guilt, experience a transformation from the inside out. I pray also that this would be a day that you send us all the more to where you have us, to be the city on the hill, the light of the gospel of Jesus. I pray this in his name, amen.